0: Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 27. Today, you'll hear my interview with Ray Wilson of Wine for the People. She's the owner and winemaker of Dandy Rosé, Dandy Bubbles, plus a new label called La Valentia. She also co-founded the Grower Project with Andrew Sides. Ray's got an interesting background as a psalm and a wine educator, and I happen to think she's making some of the best wines in Texas. You'll also hear all the latest news about the Texas wine industry, including the start of the 2021 harvest. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. Harvest has started in Texas. Many wineries have started harvesting in certain areas across the state. I've seen photos of bins of grapes coming in from Mason to Nacogdoches. Mostly white, but some red too. I'm even about to help harvest Simeon at Rustic Spur Vineyard in Fredericksburg this weekend. Wineries all over the place utilize volunteer labor to help bring in their crop. It's great fun if you come prepared. Here's what you need to do. Start hydrating the day before and bring your water bottle. You'll have to get there early, and best not to show up hungover. Bring gloves and pruning shears if you have them. You should probably wear long pants and definitely close-toed shoes. Some people prefer long-sleeve dry-fit shirts, which will keep the sun off of you, too. You'll want a hat, sunscreen, and bug spray. And I hope you've been doing your core exercises, because you'll need your strength for the amount of bending, reaching, squatting, and carrying grapes that you'll be doing. At the start of the harvest, you'll get a bit of instruction from whoever's in charge, like Keep it clean and keep leaves, birds, nests, bugs, and other non-grape materials out of the picking bins. The term for this is M-O-G, MOG, materials other than grapes. You'll also get further instructions about how to handle any bunches that may have damage from rot or birds. You'll probably finish around lunchtime, and often you'll enjoy a light lunch with your fellow volunteers and vineyard folks. And during harvest, it's always fun to meet people who, for whatever reason, are as compelled as you are to do vineyard work, if only for a day. To find out how you can participate in a harvest or how to join in a grape stomp or a punchdown, be sure to follow your favorite wineries and vineyards on social media. And what will be the enduring theme of the 2021 growing season? Well, in the Bryan, Texas newspaper, The Eagle... Messina Hoff Winery CEO and head winemaker Paul Bonarigo said, quote, this year has definitely given us some curveballs. He estimated that a total crop reduction from weather challenges for Messina Hoff will be around 50 percent to 60 percent when compared to what they were expecting at the start of the year. He said this is a similar amount of loss as they experienced in 2020. Bonarigo said, even though the crop level is down, from everything I've seen, the vine health, even though we lost fruit, the vine health is actually really good. I think 2021 will go down as a quality vintage. And I think in the end, the customer will benefit because the quality is going to be really nice. On KTRH, a Houston news station Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Viticulturalist Fan Pontash said, If it says 2021 on that bottle of wine, it will be a snapshot of this year, and I think for everyone, this is a year to remember. The Texas Wine and Grape Growers Association has opened the submission period for entries for the Lone Star International Wine Awards. The competition is making some key changes this year to enhance the credibility and visibility of the awards. Highly credentialed local and national experts will make up the judging panels, and judging will be held in early October. The early bird pricing is offered through August 27th. You can enter your wines at txwines.org. Visit Lubbock is promoting a wine filled weekend itinerary for the weekend of August 6th through 8th. The itinerary includes a visit to Berkeley Hill Vineyard Bistro and Tasting Room, a trip to McPherson Cellars to hit the Pups and pickpole event, And then on to Yano Estacado for the fifth annual Salsa and Sangria event. There's more on the itinerary, including non-wine events and wine-fueled dining. Sounds like a great time to be in Lubbock. Jester King, one of the best breweries in Texas, is now making wine and cider, according to the Austin American Statesman. Jester King Brewery co-founder Jeffrey Stuffings says brewers want to be winemakers and winemakers want to be brewers. Chester King has always brewed naturally fermented farmhouse ales, which is a process that is quite close to winemaking. He says some of our strongest roots are with the Texas winemakers, especially with the natural winemakers, because of a shared philosophy. They've always been into our beer, and we've always been into their wine for precisely that reason. Their initial offerings include a 2020 Carbonic Black Spanish and a 2020 Cabernet Sauvignon, both named Have We Met?, and both labeled with artwork from staff artist Joshua Cockrell. They're also making a Texas blueberry wine. Production is very limited, only a few hundred bottles of each. And so they've decided to sell them on-site only. You can visit Jester King. It is located quite close to the Grower Project and CL Buteau Tasting Room in West Austin in the Fitzhugh District. Chester King has also planted about 1,800 grapevines in a vineyard there on site, and they plan to expand that over time. They could be pouring their first estate grown wines by 2024. The link to all the news I've mentioned can be found at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. Would you believe I've only got one Apple Podcast review? Thanks to Johnny Wine for leaving a written review, which reads in part, Shelly does a great job of covering every aspect of the Texas wine industry. She makes it easy for the casual wine drinker to understand this challenging market. Thanks, Johnny Wine. Listeners, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. Stars are great, but your actual comments are even better. It helps other people find the podcast. And while you're there, please subscribe to the podcast. And don't forget to follow my social media channels at Texas Wine Pod on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. My guest on this episode is Ray Wilson of Wine for the People. Ray is the founder and winemaker of Wine for the People. She's been based in Austin since 2005. You may know her from her popular Dandy Rose or the Dandy Bubbles brands. I first met Ray when I was covering the Grower Project for Texas Wine Lover website. And since then, I've been impressed when I've heard her speak at Wonder Women of Wine Conference in Austin and have been on virtual tastings with her when her wine was selected as part of the State Fair of Texas Blue Ribbon Selections. This year, I even had the chance to go and visit the tasting room that Wine for the People and C.L. Buto share in West Austin. I know you'll find Ray interesting and insightful. Here's my interview. All right, Ray, I would love to just let you start by stating how you have ended up in the place you are today in the texas wine industry
1: sure well first of all thanks for having me i'm i'm super excited to be on i know uh you've been working hard at uh talking to so many people in the industry so um i'm yeah really honored to be on it um so yeah i guess um you know working in the texas industry was um extremely unexpected to say the least i uh I came from uh, an F&B background working in restaurants um, that then kind of over time evolved into I worked as a sommelier and then I did a lot of consulting as a sommelier and buyer so I would uh, find restaurants that didn't necessarily need a sommelier like full-time on staff but needed the services of one and would train their staff and then if they needed somebody on staff then I would hire that person for them. So I did that for some time, and uh, what I realized was that in all of my study of wine, um, I wanted to then uh, kind of holistically start learning the production side of wine. So not with any immediate goal of being a winemaker, I went and um, did some harvest work in a couple different places. I went out to Napa, and I worked in Artessa Winery in Carneros, um, for, I started with a harvest season and then, um, was offered a seller position. So I ended up staying there for about a year and then came back to Austin, which I had moved here in Oh five. Um, so I did that in Oh eight came back and realized within a couple months that I wanted to go to a more traditional region to do that. So I, uh, went to Portugal and I worked for two different wineries there. Um, one in the south and one in the north. Um, the climate, even though in a tiny place, is so uniquely different that I actually f- did pretty much f- two full harvest seasons um within one year. So that was a little intense, but also an incredible learning experience. And then I I still wasn't sure really kind of what that was doing other than just expanding my study of wine in general. I I still didn't have a, an immediate goal of turning that into a winemaking position or anything, but I knew that I wanted to continue learning production. So at the end of that, it was um, early 2010. And when I came back to the U S the economy was not amazing And so I started looking for more production jobs, both in Europe as well as on the West coast and was getting very, uh, very little response. So um, what I ended up doing was starting wine for the people, which started as kind of consumer education classes and then um, consulting, like I had said, doing um, work for restaurants and staff training and a lot of that. And, Over time, then um, I became aware of there being um, a Texas industry, which I really did not, I was not aware of. Um, And in that uh, kind of exploration, I found William Chris was the first uh, place that I ever wandered into and tasted some wines. And at the time, Chris and Bill were the ones right behind the bar pouring. And so I chatted with them. And you know, I was skeptical, as I think a lot of people in the industry are, of any uh, new wine regions. I think because it's such an uh, ancient tradition that I think a lot of people are very set in their idea that we already know all of the great places to make wine, um, and so the fact that I had never heard of Texas wine before, I naturally came to it with a skepticism that I think is typical but also i can look back and see how you know how small minded that is to not think that there could be any other you know regions all over the world that haven't been explored yet has that so yeah so i've found um that i was then exploring what was happening in texas and found that my consulting work was also something that was uh had a place there were some um there still are a lot of uh, kind of open areas of, you know, as the industry evolves um, things that, you know, need support in the industry. And at that moment, I could see where um, overall education of kind of the context of wine, not that it would be a conversation about Texas separately from the rest of the wine world. And I uh, still continue to think that that's really important. I don't have a desire to talk about just, Texas as though it's somehow separated from the rest of what's happening in the wine world. And I think with that context, it'll continue to allow us to build and really take all that we can from reference points as well as then, um, you know, on our own explore the, the wide ranging ground that's here.
0: So wine for the people now um, started as kind of an educational and consultancy Experience and a consultancy for restaurants and others. And now it is the umbrella brand for your different wine labels. Is that right? Yes. Can you give me a rundown of the different labels that you currently operate?
1: Yeah. So underneath Wine for the People, I have two main productions that are just mine. Uh, one was my flagship wine, which the first thing that I started making in Texas the longer I lived here. Um, the more uh, I realized in a very warm climate that um, dry rosés were something that I was I was drinking most of the year, and I'm a big fan of the really traditional ones from Provence. And so I started um, with Dandy Rosé. Um, it's a still wine, all in the kind of traditional um, varieties and style that you would see in Southern France. But everything that I make, no matter what, it's all grown here in Texas. So I started with the still wine. And then a couple of years later, I added a sparkling, which is then Dandy Bubbles. So under that brand, it's all rosé. And there's just t- those two wines. And that's just the entire focus is just to have a rosé brand that represents that style in this area of the world. And I think we have an incredible potential to really uh, shine in that style. Many others, but that was just the first one that I wanted to approach, was showing that consistently we can make high quality rosés. The second production that I now have um, is more recent, although, of course, to bring a wine to market, you work on it for years. So it's been uh, in the works for years. But um, just uh, last year, I released the first couple. Um, the name of that production is La Valentia and La Valentia is uh, their More limited releases, they, um, to me are kind of showing the more range, uh, wide range of kind of my winemaking skill, as well as the varieties that I've found. I really want to focus on, um, here in Texas, um, that's always changing and always expanding because, you know, I think that depending on where you're standing in this very large place, different varieties will, um, stand out, different styles will stand out, um, and so uh La Valentia though is really a place to kind of show um kind of that range. And it's uh these are all small production wines that <clears throat> I make available directly to my wine club and then at, at my tasting room, but they're not um they're not sold or distributed outside of that. So it's something that I really wanted to focus on. Um showing directly to consumers who are um, either already fans of Texas wine or looking to explore Texas wine or first being introduced to Texas wine um, in a way that I think is elevated and really showing um, some vineyard sites that just have incredible potential here um, or are longer established. That's been a big part of that focus in that brand is also to find longer established vineyards I work with one that's about forty nine years old, um, a couple that are uh, twenty five years old, um, and somewhere around that. So here in Texas, that's you know um, those are pretty old uh, relatively speaking. So the maturity that you see in those vines also shows very differently from our our many young plantings. Um, although I, I use plenty of those too for like my rosé and other things, but I really kind of wanted to try to focus more on these older plantings with La Volontia.
0: Excellent. And then do you want to talk about grower project? Yes. And so
1: (laughs) I'm forgetting that, uh, yeah. So the third production that I do, it's a collaborative project. So that I do with Andrew Sides and he and I have been friends for a long time. We, um, I did con- some consulting uh, several years ago for um, for his winery, Lost Draw Cellars. Through that relationship, we uh, he came to me one year and said, hey, I found this amazing fruit. Um, it's Sangiovese. It doesn't really right now fit into my program for the winery. Would you like to work on it? And I said, well, I would, but I don't really have time to take on another kind of client right now and that sense, but I have a desire myself to be making wines that are just beyond Rosé because at that point I only had Dandy. So I said, so let's just, you know, what if we do this together? And with his background coming from a farming background, a farming family um, and then starting uh, the winery in Fredericksburg um, and then my background being in kind of uh, based in more I guess, studying wines from everywhere and also trying to kind of uh, work on a lot of branding and marketing here in Texas to kind of bring our wines into a more competitive um, spot and really show them in the same kind of light that you would see wines from everywhere together that really made, um, I think, us a strong team. Um, And so we would collaborate on everything from you know, what what varieties we were going to work with, what styles we're going to make. And then kind of, I would focus also on the market placement, how that branding was going to look and really hope to kind of put something into the market that was designed for distribution in a way that was going to tell the story of the farming and the growers behind it. Every one of those wines is a single vineyard bottling. So it's really showing one vineyard at a time, kind of what it tastes like when it comes from here, what it tastes like when it comes from there. And then this is the name of the family that farms it. I think just like in the food world, chefs get a lot of the spotlight. It's the same with winemakers. And yet we can't do any of the work that we do without the farming partners that we have. Um, And again, as we explore this very large part of the world, I mean, we're slightly larger than all of France. um, Learning what it tastes like in any given uh, site is something that both, as producers and consumers, we're kind of we're exploring that pretty much at the same time. So we're all learning what it tastes like when it comes from, say, the Letcumin Vineyard or the you know Blackwater Draw Vineyard or Alto Loma Vineyard or you know the many many others that we have now around this large state. So that's uh, that's what Andrew and I have done together, and I'm proud of that project. We've uh, I think those wines are. It's uh, been really fun to work on and to uh,
0: present. I see that the bottle of grower project says, oh, um, know the land, respect the hands. And so I'm glad you mentioned the importance of promoting the the vineyard designations. You've been beating that drum for a while. I think the first time we met, you were talking about that um, many years ago. Do you think that's progressing in Texas to where people are starting to really pay attention to vineyard designation? Or do you think that the recent legislation that passed that goes into effect next year will help that promotion of vineyard designates?
1: I do. I think, you know, I think that, um, you know, the work that we have in front of us to really explore individual vineyards, it'll be for so many generations in front of us. However, I think the reason that I do beat that drum, and I, I do, I have my, <laughs> my certain things that I, I continue trying to kind of drive in. And, and it's only as I've explored things that I really, you know, find important and I'm passionate about. Um, but I do think that, you know, vineyard designation is very important just because it really continues to show people that there's no one way to talk about Texas. There's no one variety that's going to be the Texas variety. there's no one taste or flavor profile or anything. Now within our state, can we start recognizing certain um, you know certain taste profiles that come from certain varieties in certain areas? Sure, but I really think that the thing that I'm always trying to get people away from, and this is consumers and uh, producers alike, is to not refer to this place as being one place. No one would ever say in France that Cabernet Sauvignon is the variety for France, because every area has different, you know, a different climate, a different variation of soil makeup, and certain varieties then are the ones that um, really show in time that their uh, that their expression is um, just has greater potential than other varieties. And so that's something that we're so early in this process, but I really want to continue to um, drive in and emphasize the importance that we we don't just put these um, overarching broad statements on a a landmass that is as large as we have here. Um, So with single vineyard designates, not that, I mean, I make plenty of wines that are not from single vineyards and I'm not at all against um, doing that. Um, but I do think that with single vineyard designations and with really trying to explore those as much as possible, we will continue to be able to see where we've come from um, as well as then hope guide us to, you know, into the future and see the varieties that really do seem to sing in a different way or just express themselves in different ways in different parts of our state. Um, So You know, I think when we're looking at areas that are as large as our AVAs are um, and trying to kind of, um, you know, put broad stroke character on these areas, especially when we're looking at places like the Texas Hill Country. I mean, it's different from, you know, one spot to 10 feet over Um, when we're talking about even just from the farthest eastern point to the farthest western points. Um, we're talking to any given moment. It, it could be a 15 degree difference in a day. Um, humidity could be, you know, that much and more of a range. Um, and soil makeup is just so varied. Um, and then with that elevation too. So there's just, the, the variation is really endless in a, an AVA that is of that size. And so I think just continuing trying to explore each part of that, rather than trying to talk about it as a whole, um, is, I think, more productive. Um, it's, you know, it's really going to teach us all um, how to talk about it and um, about the variations. And that then sub, sub AVAs are inevitable um, and they will come more quickly if we make more of those distinctions. So to me, it's just making more of those
0: distinctions. So in 2014, when you released Dandy Rosé, you did so with kind of a marketing campaign that this is a wine for Austin. And it was seemed like the marketing was very tied into uh, regional preferences, like you said. And you always talk about wine and tacos. And of course, Austin's known for tacos, great pairing. Um, how hard was it to get that first wine made? And do you think it's gotten easier for small brands like you were in 2014 to start a new Uh, wine brand in Texas?
1: I do think that there are more resources now, although we have a lot of room to grow there too. Um, There are not too many custom crush facilities in the state. Um, And with that, that would provide more opportunities to smaller producers. I think that early on in Texas, we see um, the idea of if you want to make wine, you have to go out and build a winery, which of course takes an immense amount of resources. Um, And it's also just not your most common uh, model throughout the world. Um, You don't need to build a winery. Um, Also the more sustainable ways um, to utilize those resources are to share larger uh, wineries. The very first um, production that I did of Dandy, um, it was in collaboration with um, the guys at Lewis wines and they helped me put that together as well as source the fruit. Um, And I was, Uh, very excited to be able to uh, start that production on that year because we had that same year planted a very small vineyard um, out at uh, my business partner's place that's out near Johnson City. And of course, it was going to take some years to get online um, to get the fruit from there. And so um, they offered me an opportunity to uh, make it in their cellar and um, use some of the fruit that they had contracted, which was um, a great opportunity to get something really small started. And to say I started the production is almost an exaggeration because it was about, uh, you know, 30 cases. <laughs> Maybe Gotta start somewhere. It was, it was, yeah, it was tiny. Um, but I think my initial goal in that was, I was still hesitant to, um, <clears throat> to make wine here coming from the, um, uh, from the buying side, from the sommelier side, and being very familiar with people's hesitance on that side to be open to Texas wine, even though it hasn't been all that long, that has luckily been changing pretty rapidly. At that time, though, a lot of people were just – they didn't think that it was necessarily worthy of a lot of attention, and the examples that um, you know they had seen um, for them were uh, – you know, not wines that stood out. And so the reason that I started branding it in the way that I did was because having come from the uh, wine professional uh, community in Austin, I know that I had a lot of people here in this community that if I was going to bring something to them, they trusted me that I wasn't going to bring something that was uh, unremarkable. And so a lot of them, you know, gave me, you know, a really good um, just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just they kind of took that leap because I was the one that was bringing it to them. And I was very lucky and grateful for that because it was then very well received and sold out pretty much immediately, which was, you know, very encouraging. Um, It took me um, then into the next vintage and to make a little bit more and to make a little more. And I would always first offer it to the Austin um, Austin buyers, Austin restaurants and bars um, as a direct offering. I would pre-sell it because the ways that I was putting into the market were ways that they were already uh, familiar with buying things, whether they were coming from France or Germany or Spain or anywhere else. So for them, a lot of their experience in purchasing wines um, when it's rosé and when they're coming from Europe, you generally have importers that will offer um, pre-sale. And so you'll buy it pre-sale, you'll get a little bit of a better deal, um, but you're mostly buying it blind. So you pretty much have to have a good um, education and knowledge and just familiarity with these different producers. And so in that I saw the opportunity to present things in the way that the industry was used to seeing them. And I think that was a really big thing was the interface in how um, wines here were being produced, but then um, sometimes the lack of understanding of how the rest of the market works, if you were going to do any distribution and sell to anyone um, that then was going to put it into restaurant lists and things like that. So um, my familiarity there with that process, I think also helped because then I'm selling them, you know, I'm sending them a presale um, list and a price. Um, and then once it was then available to the public, I would do a big um, release event. And, and then it was really kind of um, a celebration. I really wanted to help build the culture of wine in Texas, because I really think that no matter what we're doing, we have to educate the people who are living here that they now live in an emerging wine region. And I think the more we can do that, connecting of those consumers to the place that they're living and understand that this is a part of what happens here, then we will really find that our interest and support will just continue to grow because of that connection. Um, A lot of people here don't even know when the harvest season is. So explaining what that is, explaining why we release Rosé, you know, earlier in the year and here in Texas earlier in the year is better because then we're, you know, we get warm generally pretty, pretty early. And that's again, a little bit different throughout the state, but we still, you know, what is common is that we, we get hot, uh, in any part of the state. So showing a style, uh, to me, that was also, I, thought of it as like, this is something, you know, being based in Austin, like this is, you know, looking at the hill country, like, this is what we're, this is in our own backyard. And this is like, you know, to me, it's like kind of looking at Provence and seeing the copious amounts of rosé that are poured, you know, through much of the year. um, And definitely through the warm summers, looking at that is like, this is, this is like that. Um, This should be our hill country water. Um, that's always something that I kind of wanted to just connect people to and bring it and present it in the same way that they see all of a sudden all of the shops and the restaurants be full of French rosé. Um, and coming in also that with that timing that, again, the industry is familiar with when those rosés are available in the market, looking at bringing those in and, you know, the late spring or um <clears throat> or early summer months to when then they're available and also compete in the market. Because then if the market is completely flooded with all the European rosés and there's not much room for the ones that are here to then come in, if you're releasing it in August, you know, good luck. <laughs> um, wow. So that's when the buyers kind of stop purchasing. So a lot of those things were kind of just aligning them to work in the market um, the way that, um, uh, a lot of buyers in the industry, people are used to seeing them.
0: You've talked about so many different things that you do in your job. And although your first interest was production, you had to get really good at managing relationships and finding a place to make your first wines, the marketing of the wines, working with the buyers. And I'm sure there's a whole realm of legal and compliance issues, labeling issues. And you also have a real um, interesting, set of labels and kind of artwork and the whole vibe around your, your brands is very strong. And I'm sure that takes a lot of time too. What would people be surprised to know about how you spend your typical work week and balancing all these different things that you do?
1: <laughs> oh, that is hard to put a name on. Cause it is just like you're saying, it's extremely varied. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, I I do joke throughout the year that depending, you know, we do live in this very large state and making wine here is um, a challenge just even logistically because of its size. So I think, you know, I think that certain weeks, um, especially during harvest, but even even outside of harvest is that I spend so much of my time driving (laughs) because I'm based in Austin I now have a tasting room that is in the direction of Dripping Springs, but it's uh, still kind of southwest Austin. It's about 30 minutes west. And then I then produce the wines um, out of Slate Mill Winery, which is out in Fredericksburg. And then when I'm working to, you know, uh, do market visits and things, I'm in every city center and some places in between. Lots of events that are all over. And then during harvest, it's everywhere through, you know, uh, northern to southern panhandle all you know, lots of kind of hill country, central Texas areas in between. Um, and so, yeah, I think that that I don't know if that would be surprising, but I think that sometimes I feel like my actual job on the ground is uh, as, as a driver. <laughs> Yeah. You know, you mentioned like the, the branding and marketing side and I do really enjoy that side. Um, and again, a lot of it comes from, I mean, my background, I was an artist. I played music and I did photography. And so I was very um, you know, I came from a very artistic family and that for most of my young years was where I really thought that I would be um, professionally. Um, and so I very much, you know, I approach everything that I do in my work I think from that um, default perspective um, I've certainly learned a lot of, you know, a lot of the, you know, logistics and operational and, you know, mechanics of it all, you know, along the way. But I do um, still think that the, the strength of a strong, um, Artistic presence is something that I always want to show through both in the wines themselves. And then of course the way that they're presented. And so that's, that's, um, both something that I just, it's, you know, I enjoy greatly in this process. And I think with something that is so wide ranging, something, some things feel a little bit more like a chore than others. And that is one that when I do get the time to really focus on that in a day, I'm, um, if it doesn't, you know, there's nothing uh, that feels like work. There, it's it's really um, exciting and finding ways to present Texas wines in a way that might be surprising, or at least get it into someone's glass before they have that hesitancy of, oh, this is Texas. You know, they just get a beautifully presented, and they can then really um, perhaps perhaps change or open open a view of an area they don't necessarily already know.
0: It's got to be really fulfilling to have wine as kind of a palette to explore all of these different things. Maybe you should be the musician for your next launch party. <laughs> I
1: think at this point, I'm way too rusty for that. But um, yeah, I, I, I do really enjoy um, that wine is this incredible, um, just kind of conduit, this this uh, place from which to explore, continue to explore um, so many things. And I think that Ultimately, you know, the things that I'm driven by are um, just a overall kind of perspective of being endlessly curious. And I think that that's kind of, you know, my I'd say more of a uh, way that I approach life in general. Um, And that very much drives my interest in the wine world, because I think if you aren't endlessly curious, it's a challenging industry to be in because it is just so broad um, with the types of work that are involved especially if you're a small business and you're wearing a lot of those hats yourself um but even you know in a large uh a large winery you look at everything from people who you know are managing finance to marketing the wines to the branding and you know to the the lab uh you know running the labs on the wines and the seller work itself and you know i mean it's just it has a lot of different moving parts, and I think with that um, curiosity and wanting to learn um, all of those parts, I think it definitely um, helps and drives drives a lot of that. But yeah, uh, my m- m- skills at this point with music are have been greatly neglected long enough that that I, I don't share those with many people.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Um, I I ran across a very old um, agenda for a hill country symposium that had you on the agenda and your topic was Texas wine in the world market research and tasting. So I wonder how you would approach a training class that would explore Texas wine in the world market. Like what, what would you want people to know about where Texas fits in and what should they taste as um, comparable wines to what you're producing?
1: Um, well, it's a great question. I, I very much remember that um, workshop that I, I ran there. It was the first one that I was uh, invited to uh, run. And uh, I was very very happy to, because it was again like something that I always wanted to bring the larger context to what we're doing here in Texas. We're not reinventing wine. Um, you know it's a nine thousand year um, history of human civilization. Um so to me, it was really important to always find ways to connect it um, to the larger context, um, especially because the varieties that we work with that the entire world works with um, have their um, home uh, or origins in you know. Europe and the Middle Eastern areas of the world. So um, to me, without that context, we're really doing a disservice to what we're doing um, and kind of where we're starting from. So in that, um, I did focus a lot on um, showing traditional examples next to examples that we make here in the state. I always stop short of to me, it's never a competition. It's not about how does this, uh, stack up or how does it really compare or compete with other wines in the world? And I know that there are plenty of, um, series and folks that have focused on that. And uh, that's great. It's just a different model than I think where I was trying to focus and continue to try to focus is that I think it's important to know the context, but I also think that it's really important for us to be able to, um, Truly explore our own area as its own unique place because there is no perfect comparison. Um, it's important to know the context and what are the regions that really excel in producing Syrah? Where does it originally come from? What does that taste like in Northern Rhone compared to McLaren Vale in, in Australia? So I think that these, the context of these expressions that are already out in the world are very important for us to know, but not because it's only about saying like, how do we stack up? How are we doing? This is definitely better than, you know, our Temperneo from this area is better than Roberto Luero. You know, to me that's less helpful or, or to me constructive. I think at this point, um, again, in my view and in my, you know, way that I kind of look to that, Yeah. Again, it's just kind of about bringing it into a a larger context, um, which I think then allows us to have more distinctions that we can bring to our own terroir as we're exploring it um, and seeing the uniqueness, you know, how does it taste differently than a really, um, you know, from its maybe original place that it's produced um, or associated with. And so with that, at that time, that was a lot of what I did. I lined up wines and I tasted them next to um, their most traditional counterparts. Um, and I continue in my own exploration to uh, do that. I very much, because of my, you know, um, lots of, you know, history and study of wines from everywhere, Um I think the the moment that I uh, got interested and involved in the Texas industry, uh, within five minutes there, people were saying like, oh, yeah, you're that Texas wine person. <laughs> and at first, I just thought, wait, what? I mean, I've spent, you know, 99% of my career, you know, studying and teaching about wines from all over the world. And as soon as I dipped my toe, it became something else. And and I think at that time, you know, I was a little reluctant to take that on. At this time, I mean, it's fine. I, you know, I produce wines here. That's great. I do um, very much also come from the larger, uh, you know, world context um, of how I look at my wines and how I approach them and how they, how I make them. So I would say that in my productions, you know, I really do focus on, I'd say, uh, techniques that are very traditional and things that are techniques that um have over time been the ones that to me stand out or allow the wines to stand out in a different way coming from a lot of these traditional places. Um, and so in those techniques, I do bring much of that um intact from that into my own winemaking. But then in the exploration of the the varieties, the wines themselves, um, there, you know, there can be a traditional reference point for why I would blend Syrah and Merlot together, but I'm also looking at bringing that balance and looking at the expressions from its own lens from here, and then where those wines, you know, the vineyards themselves that they're coming out of.
0: I I recently was gifting a bottle of. Of Texas wine specifically to a sommelier who was relocating from out of state. Mm -hmm. And I had to figure out which bottle of Texas wine I wanted to leave for her. Mm -hmm. And my first thought was that I was going to leave her a bottle of the La Valentia um, sparkling Chenin Blanc. But then I decided that I couldn't part with the one <laughs> bottle I have remaining. <laughs> and so I I then left her your La Valentia red blend because I wanted her to taste something that was fabulous. And from Texas, I love that it's, uh, I love the label on it. I love that she could, you know, potentially go and visit your tasting room, which I want to talk about in a minute. And um, so I, I got rave reviews from her on that wine.
1: Thank you very much. I'm, I'm so glad that you, are uh- are sharing those wines.
0: Yes. Um, So let me hear a little bit about what's been going on at your tasting room that's opened up fairly recently within the past year, right?
1: Yeah. um, We opened the doors in early December, um, which, yeah, is a strange time to open a business uh, mid-pandemic and hope that you're, you know, making the right choice or making the right leap Um, through the previous year, um, yeah, it, it was very challenging for a small producer, especially, um, in the way that I had set up my business, which was, um, without a, um, physical location to visit, which, um, was in the plans, um, and was, you know, I was working toward, but it hadn't happened yet. And what the pandemic did for, uh, my business was make that, um, imperative, Um, and kind of needing to speed up that timeline because I did have, um, you know, a good amount of wine in distribution and um, it was still, and I also knew that my um, La Valentia wines were going to be um, releasing and trying to build, um, building direct sales um, without a place for people to visit um, is very challenging. So that was something that as distribution channels were really narrowing um, and then knowing that I had a need for direct sales for these uh, um, more, a little bit higher end, more limited wines, um, that timeline needed to be um, figured out fairly quickly. So I had been looking at different places. Um, I knew these brothers out in this area southwest of austin near jester king brewery if people are familiar with that um it is uh they had had a cidery out there and when they were moving out of that space they contacted me um in time it looked like a possibility for me to take on um and yet the space was still larger than just i needed and i knew that um, Randy and Brooke Hester of CLB Toad were also looking for a tasting space. And so in uh, we started looking at that possibility of doing it together and sharing the space um, and seeing that there could be strength in numbers as well as two small producers being able to kind of uh, share some of those costs, which are you know not small to uh, run a physical brick and mortar. So that ended up becoming um, something that, yeah, it's a shared tasting space. We are both individual producers and businesses, and our brands are entirely independent. Um, but we do share this space, which also provides a you know, more unique opportunity as a consumer. If you're visiting the tasting room, you can taste through uh, my wines, you can taste through uh, their wines, and we have very distinctly different styles. And yet I think that that also um, provides an advantage when people can come in and see such a broad range of wines in front of them. And yet we very much share the um, standard um, by which we're producing the wines, which I mean, starts with 100% uh, Texas grapes. I'm not interested in working with fruit from anywhere else. To me, if if I'm here, I'm going to work with Texas grapes. And it's the same for Randy. And then just our We really do hope to elevate, um, you know, in the wines that we do produce, just, um, you know, offer an elevated wine that will stand up strong, uh, you know, strongly in the larger context of the world uh, of wines that are available. So, yeah, so that's been really exciting to open, um, really great, and, you know, such an opportunity uh, to connect directly with people pour the wines for them and really have the, um, the story and everything, the process and everything, um, available to people and to, for them to be able to go in. And I can't be there in every moment, but a lot of times, you know, um, they can be there, they can meet the winemakers, um, and really kind of get a different experience, um, in exploring Texas wine. And I love that we get some people that are already there that know Texas wine and a lot of people that don't. And more often than not, we are um, finding a lot of people that are very surprised um, and are excited about um, the quality and that there are interesting things happening in Texas Again, not to say that we're the only ones doing that, just that the, the uh, people that are visiting us are are having really positive um, experiences. And, and that is just really exciting to get to do and have that direct contact.
0: Yeah, it's an adorable spot and you've got a great little food truck out there and a great way yeah. to spend an afternoon. So I, I hope people will check it out if they haven't already. Well, yeah. you're about to get really busy with harvest, I know, but what do you have going on um, this summer or fall that you're excited about? Anything on the calendar that people should know about?
1: Um, yeah, harvest will uh, consume my world uh, for the next few months. But, um, you know, I'd say that, you know, I'm really looking to do a lot more partnering with um chefs and do some really great kind of pop-up dinners at the tasting space. Um, Also um, partnering with other types of artists and we'll do events um, in different markets throughout the state. We'll do things in Austin, but we'll also look at doing things, you know, in uh, the Dallas area and Houston and San Antonio really looking to try to um, I'm always looking at interesting ways to try to present the wines and always, to me, such a focus is in um, partnering with other artists to kind of, I think, show a relationship that people don't always uh, think of, unless you if you walk into an art show, you're most often offered a glass of wine. But I don't know that they're uh, often presented in the same way that this is art on this side and this is art on this side. There are two different mediums. Um, but I very much see uh, the work that I do as art. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm always interested in finding uh, different people to partner with in that way and present things. Again, I think it's always trying to look at things um, that are going to be creative, but also it kind of makes people stop and open up their minds before they've already made a judgment of what they think is going to be in that glass because it says Texas. Um, and so, you know, I think that's one of the biggest goals is finding beautiful ways to present them, but also trying to get people to just maybe take them off guard a little bit and have them open up their mind, taste the wine, see it in a different way, um, approach it in a different way. A lot of, uh, Amazing, you know, Texans throughout the state um, who are really um, already big lovers of wine from around the world and who haven't quite yet found wines in Texas that really appeal to them, or if they have, it hasn't been many and again, there are so many out there to explore, but in the opportunities that I have, I really do want to um, help open people's mind to that and show them some examples here that I think, um, I think stand out. I hope that they, um, I hope that they do. And I, and I do always hope that it opens some people up to seeing something that they might not expect.
0: Yeah, that's cool. If you had to, um, forecast what might be in your future 10 years from now? Are there any big goals that you have or um, any things that you are working toward in particular?
1: <laughs> that is a big question. Um, I would say that, you know, I continue to want to uh, explore this gigantic place. And in that way, I I don't know what that's going to look like um, in 10 years because um, there's no way to know what you don't know yet. Um, but I would say that I'm going to um, – I've had a desire for some time and I will continue to find ways to, um, let's say, partner and collaborate with winemakers from other regions of the world – Um, to continue to bring attention to what we're doing here and continuing to bring in the knowledge and experience from places that have been established for a thousand years or more. Um, And I think that that type of collaboration um, for me is just inspiring and it's something that will continue to add depth um, to what I'm doing, but also I think that what it offers um, in a larger way to the industry um, I see it contributing to helping evolve um, our own knowledge and our own exploration as well as then people's awareness of what is happening here in Texas. But I think that, you know, I I really think that doing things from, from finding, you know, College programs that can do, uh, you know, exchange programs and things like that will only continue to help us uh, grow here. And on the winemaking side, you know, on the production side, really finding ways to uh, collaborate with other winemakers and kind of bring us into a different place because of that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's something that I think, again, it's inspired by a lot of my background and, you know, as an artist, working with other musicians was always a big thing, you know, finding, you know, you see it with chefs all the time. They do um, events where they collaborate and you end up with something that's entirely different from either um, individual on their own. And so I think that finding ways to do that is just it's exciting. Um, it gets me, you know, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. It it continues to um, um motivate me in my process as a producer um, and also broadens um, the scope to continually um, connect it to the world outside.
0: I love that. And it reminds me of this winemaker. You may know Adam Lee, who had Suduri and sold it, and now he's doing some mm-hmm. projects on his own. He's a Texan, but he's making wine in California. Yeah. And at some in- industry event, he met one of the top producers in Chateauneuf de Pop, who said, I've always wanted to make California Pinot Noir, and so now they have a joint label. And yeah. this guy, whose name escapes me at the moment, is you know participating in the production of this California Pinot. Of course, it's interesting times right now for everything they've had going on sure. um, in California yeah. over the last couple of harvests, but but that's so in, that's an interesting concept course it's interesting too if you have the same harvest schedule but maybe you need to find a winemaker from the southern hemisphere who could yeah you know really participate
1: yeah definitely yeah i think the southern hemisphere is going to be uh <laughs> uh necessary on some levels for that yeah and i do think that finding some in more traditional regions where we um you know working with the sparkling Chenin blanc that you mentioned um I now have two different Chenin Blanc, and those were, to me, a surprise variety that I didn't know I'd be working with here, and my context for those are very much um, in its origins in the Loire Valley in France, and Loire Valley is a cool enough region um, that, depending on where I'm pulling things from here in the state or sourcing things, um, that I could probably still somehow work together with someone in a much cooler region Uh, just from the delay of a a harvest there. But for sure, um, you know, there are certain areas that definitely stand out. Um, I know some winemakers in the Swartland area of South Africa that I think have an incredible amount um, of knowledge and um, things to really contribute here, as well as just who are amazing winemakers on their own and that I would love to uh, do some collaborating with. And I think, yeah, I think that those opportunities are really endless. And I think that the more that, Um, The more that we explore that, the more information that we share and the better uh, modes of communication to do all of that within our own industry and then outside of our industry, I think is what's going to push us forward um, and really more rapidly have us evolve as an industry because we can't speed up an annual harvest, but we can speed up how we're um, how we're sharing that information and who then we're um, broadening our experiences with. And that to me is invaluable. And that is what will continue to push us um, to, you know, really be seen on the map as a, you know, a world-class wine region. And that I think is um, a great goal of mine going into the future.
0: Yeah. If people aren't already connected with you on social media, where should they follow Wine for the People and your brands?
1: Um, You can on Instagram is our greatest presence. And that is at Wine for the People, just like it sounds. And we do have a presence on Facebook, although a little bit less. um, And that is also under Wine for the People. Um, The website is the best way to find the wines that are available. um, And that is wineforthepeople.com. Um, And if you're interested in these small production wines, they are um, exclusively available to the wine club members and then from the tasting room. So um, if you're in the area uh, near Austin, please do come and see us. We're out on Fitzhugh road, and you can find that specific information on the website, wineforthepeople.com. But then um, if you're interested in really seeing some of the, very limited uh, wines that I'm producing, um, the wine club is going to be the, the best way to see those. And yeah, they're very special wines that I'm really excited to be sharing. So,
0: Well, here in the Dallas area, you've definitely got a good presence at Whole Foods and at Central Market. So people can uh, find some of your wines that the Dandy Rosé and the Gar Project wines there too. So look in yep. your local stores and see what you can turn up as well. Definitely. Thanks, Ray, for your time and for bringing such fine Texas wine to the market. Ray's social media links are available in the show notes. Next up, I'm handing out Demerits and Gold Stars. My Gold Star goes out to wineries that have made wine education a priority. I've just returned from a trip to New York, and I was able to spend a day tasting wine at four wineries in the Finger Lakes. Out of the four wineries that I visited, only one actually had guided tastings. The others poured a flight of wine for you and then gave you a printout of the wine descriptions. If you wanted any more information than the bare bones basics, you had to find someone to ask. Apparently, this is a new protocol that the wineries have adopted during covid Now, of course, you can staff a tasting room with fewer people this way, but it's certainly not best for people in the tasting room who are actually there wanting wine education or who have questions about what they're tasting. I suppose it's perfect for people who just want to get a flight and drink and be left alone. So my gold star goes to Texas wineries who are working so hard to hire and train folks to staff the tasting room. Sure, it's expensive and it's not easy in light of this super tight labor market, but it sure does make a difference to the visitor. And my demerit, first a little background. Now, I love Central Market, which is a grocery chain that's owned by HEB, and I often suggest that people buy wine there because they've got a pretty good selection with some interesting choices. It's by far the best grocery store wine selection in DFW. The Central Market that is quite close to my house was demolished by a tornado in the fall of 2019, and it finally reopened this month after an extensive renovation. I was so encouraged to see that the wine department was expanded during the renovation, but sadly, I think their Texas wine selection has gotten smaller. As I was approaching the wine department, the first thing I noticed was a giant tower display of sake. So I'm thinking, gosh, if they've got that much sake, they've surely expanded their Texas wine selection, right? Wrong. I understand that the sake display is part of a month long promotion someone working in the department asked me if I needed help. And I said, yes, that I wanted to find the Texas wines. He said, well, we don't have many, but what we have is over here. And he led me to an unmarked long shelf right there at the bottom. Now he did have some great choices in there. He had wines from the grower project, Peternalis, Ready, and William Chris, maybe six to eight Texas wines in total. And that's Frankly, too few, and they're basically hidden with no signage and no tag that said local like the food products that are local get. I asked him if he was the wine buyer. He said no, he was the beer buyer, and he said, we have lots of Texas beer. Yes, of course they do. I'm going to find out who that wine buyer is and suggest that the Texas wine section swap places with the sake section. And if you see a similar injustice in your grocery store, I hope you'll do the same. The only way that stores are going to start carrying a wider selection of Texas wines is if customers ask for it. And I hope that in October, during Texas Wine Month, my local central market will expand the selection as other central markets do. Last year, I drove up to the Plano Central Market and found some real gems. Come on, central market. I want to give you a gold star, but right now, you're getting a demerit. If you haven't already, please sign up for the podcast newsletter on my website at thisistexaswine.com. I've been doing quite a few Texas winery visits, and I'm going to be sharing my favorites and some additional tips and wine recommendations in the newsletter, because there's just not enough time to cover it all on the podcast. So go to the website and get signed up. That's thisistexaswine.com. That's also where you'll find show notes for this episode, which includes the links to all the stories I've shared. You can also click support the podcast tab to buy me a glass of Texas wine. Thanks to Texas Wine Lover website and Jeff Cope for helping promote the podcast. Visit TXWineLover.com to help plan your next winery visit. Thank you for listening to this episode of This is Texas Wine. Cheers, y'all.